This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, January 28, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. When the Trump administration announced a rollback of regulatory review for certain large government-constructed infrastructure projects, the reaction was swift and negative. Though it's not exactly clear why. Peter Van Doren edits Regulation magazine. He comments on the rollback of these reviews and what they actually mean for environmental quality. Detail for me the requirements of the National Environmental Policy Act. The act states the following, that the uh, EPA shall identify and analyze the environmental impact of, quote, major federal actions significantly affecting the quality of the human environment, end quote. That's a big, broad uh, purview there. It is. So, so, <laughs> But notice it doesn't say analyze and then decide whether to allow this uh, infrastructure or action to be built or to occur. It just says analyze. And that's really important. It's an unlimited license to write papers. To the extent that these uh, papers are written, this is before projects are undertaken? Correct. Okay. So it what, can slow them down. So what's the, the is that the only practical impact then of of the the fact that these analyses are conducted with regard to these large government actions? In effect, yes. I mean, the uh, I read a paper that gave some data that the for the first of all the the environmental impact statements are required only for very very less than one percent of NEPA decisions. Almost all are decided to not be relevant for what are called categorical exemptions, things in the law that says this it doesn't apply. And then they actually go through some analyses for less for, for like uh, 5% or so of possible NEPA decisions. And they write a paper that says, oh, it doesn't apply. So for then each year, there are only about 500 environmental impact statements required each year. That's the good news from if you want to develop and do stuff. The bad news is they take a long time. The uh, mean from 2001 to 2013, the average time from requiring an EIS to its completion was four and a half years. The median was three and a half. A quarter of environmental impact statements uh, took more than six years to write. And again, this isn't a decision to allow or not allow the the environmental impact statement doesn't just talks about environmental impacts that's it but they take a while so they can if you're a developer or want to build stuff and it's again this is applies to the federal government not private this is when the feds build big stuff dams etc um and it can slow things down the second thing that occurred last March, March 2018, or sorry, 19, a federal judge ruled that an oil and gas lease uh, done under the Obama administration in the West, um, the NEPA requires environmental impact. And the question was whether would climate change have to be a part of the environmental impact statement? And the judge's answer was yes, even though in 2005, the Congress exempted all federal oil and gas leases from NEPA consideration as long as they met five criteria. And 
uh, Will Yeatman and I this morning basically looked at the statute and then this lease, and we think that the lease was so large that it violated the technically the the, the NEPA exemption, uh, even though the exemption broadly basically lets all oil and gas drilling on federal land occur without NEPA consideration. So these reports, these long, these long time frame reports in order to evaluate uh, the environmental impact of these projects, they don't have any practical effect with respect to the project. It's just detailing what they expect that impact to be. The statement has to be done and it has to be done in faithfully with regard to the law. But once it's done and once some decision maker, usually in the Department of Interior, the Army Corps, says it's done, then whatever project is in question can proceed regardless of what the environmental impact statement says. That's so, the irony. I mean, it, And it, the fact that these NEPA reports are only uh, substantially required by a tiny fraction of uh, these projects is that is it size that is that is the main driver of whether or not these economic impact statements must be conducted fully for these projects. Um, the paper I read, but by the way, here's the interesting thing: the literature. Usually, like when I talk with you, I talk about papers I've read. There's only one paper written on this subject that I could find, and which tells tells you, wow, it hasn't must have not really been a big deal. The paper then goes on to describe the government databases that are kept about these kinds of disputes. And ironically, they're extraordinarily incomplete. So <laughs> that there's only a database about actual environmental impact statements. There there isn't a database about all the non about all the federal projects that don't require consideration that are exempted through one of the two uh, methods that I talked about earlier. So we do have data about the small number of projects that require EISs, and the author said basically these are big things. So it's 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 size, um, as well as increasingly with fossil fuel concerns, it's it's about pipeline location, pipelines going through federal lands would would constitute a decision. So if I if I'm an environmentalist and I care about uh, preventing these, you know, polluting projects from being created, it would be fine for me if uh, the, these, especially the larger ones, are delayed by up to six years. Correct. In order to conduct these uh, analyses, even if they don't ultimately prevent the project from uh, being undertaken. Correct. And you can organize people in fuss. And you can probably convince the public that the EIS can, quote, sh shut something down, unquote, even though technically EIS is not capable of doing that. But it's totally reasonable uh, that uh, these reports are creating legitimate uh, ammunition on both sides, potentially, of the environmental impact of these large projects. Correct. And... For libertarians in particular, we ought to ask the prior question of, well, why is the federal government building big things and what should we think about that? Um, the journal, the, the publication I edit here at Cato Regulation, we ran an article last year by University of Toronto Business School professors that said, well, you know, 
Given our ability to have uh, user charges, because we now have electronic tolling and things like that, it's not clear that there's much rationale for any federal infrastructure, because it all could be privately built and charged for. So the the notion that we um, have to have Army Corps of Engineers do waterway works and, and have the feds build roads and tunnels and things like that. Well, no, we could have we could have private enter. I mean, in Europe, ironically, airports and infrastructure in Europe is much more privately owned than it is in the United States, even though we're the beacon of free enterprise and Europe is, quote, allegedly social, much more socialist than we are. Their infrastructure is not. And we, so the meta question behind all this is yes, these um, NEPA requirements can get in the way of building stuff, but the stuff it's getting in the way of is built by the feds. And so ironically, libertarians may be ironically in favor of NEPA slowdowns for big stuff. Not because we don't value big stuff, but we don't think the feds actually need or taxpayers need to be the builders and funders of the big stuff. The Trump rule. Um, proposed rule. Proposed rule, which has not been uh, either finalized or litigated. Correct. Uh, would shorten that time frame for getting getting these kinds of projects underway. The EIS statement, when required, would have to be either one year for smaller projects and two years for larger projects, full stop. And that's much, much less than the the time periods I quoted for existing EIS statements. You're not a lawyer, but based on what has clearly been put out and your understanding of how regulations get litigated, is this rule going to stand up? My sense is no, that the the Congress can change the NEPA statute to state what environmental impacts do or do not apply. Given the current rather broad and vague language in the current NEPA statute, the judge uh, in the March 2019 decision simply said, hmm, this is a major federal action. It is not exempt under the 2005 Energy Act, even though it's oil and gas, because these leases have a particular character. Um, climate change is a potential environmental impact. Therefore, it has to be considered. Yeah, it's a totally reasonable reading of the statute. Of the statute. Okay, so the Trumpsters don't say, let's rewrite the statute. They say, let's rewrite the rule. And so the question is, the rule will then be litigated by environmental groups. Environmental groups says, you can't do this because um, you have to rewrite the statute. And I think, so I think my prediction is that like many Trump rule changes regarding the environment, um, the ignoring what the statute has to say and trying to do this by rule actually will not be successful. But um, this will be popular among uh, Trump supporters, I suspect, and that's part of what presidents do is is try to please their voters, and this is an attempt within his power to do so, even though he's overestimating what power he has. Cato Senior Fellow Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 